To me, Test was the epitome of what a big man should be. He wasn't a monster, but he was an above-average giant who absolutely crushed people. Although being more of a heater, bodyguard, or guy who just beats people up type character for the majority of his career, he demonstrated real personality at times when needed and had a diverse moveset that honestly just felt perfect for a guy his size and then some. He is, in my opinion, an underappreciated talent, and even though he doesn't have the resume that others on this podcast will have or hold, he will go down as one of my personal favorites. Behold, this is the episode for Andrew Test Martin. Centuries turn, there's legends to learn. Learning legends. Learning legends. Welcome to Learning Legends, ladies and gents. And although Paul Orndorff was the test episode, I guess you could say in many ways, episode two is a test episode as well. (laughs) And now this, this episode might be a little bit controversial because I don't think the majority of wrestling fans would consider test a legend but the the thing i wanted to showcase in the very first two episodes is yes we are absolutely going to be covering legends brett the hitman hart uh tito santana maybe one day hulk hogan when people don't realize why he's famous anymore he's just a big name it's hard to not know who hulk hogan is um but i am going to be covering legitimate legends Uh, by every definition of the word. But there are going to be some quote-unquote legends on here that are on here because I had a personal fascination with them, and I want more people to be in the know about why they're so special to me. And Test is one of those guys. He just knew his role, played it perfectly, and to me defined what the attitude was all about. Some of the matches he had, the personality he had, the tag teams he was a part of, just... He was a part of a lot of big moments that might have gone under the radar because he wasn't a Triple H or a Stone Cold or The Rock. Um, He grew up in probably one of the most star-crowded WWFs we've had um, and had to fight for every bit of attention. And so his biggest of accomplishment kind of got swept under the rug because of this. And so that's, that's kind of what I want to talk about here in this episode today is talk about his career. (laughs) <laughs> and even though I didn't really 100% grow up in the Attitude Era, a lot of his best moments to me were in the Ruthless Aggression, and we'll get right into that. But um, first, I am going to go over which of these um, you know, sources we'll be using. So if you want to go back, look up any of this information, you are more than welcome to do so. The sources are ProFightDB, ProFightDatabase.com, ProFightDB.com. WrestleZone News, Tampa Bay Times Post, entitled The Test of a Wrestler, Wikipedia, and IMDB. So without further ado, let's get into it, ladies and gents. Just going downstairs again, looking at that pump handle slam. Going back to it. This time he got it! He got it! Test got it! This is going to be it here! Here we go! And Lesnar, I mean, barely, barely kicking out of that pump handle slam. Heyman. 
Andrew Martin was born in March 17, 1975, in the small hockey town of Whitby, which is located in southern Ontario, Canada. He attended Henry Street High School with NHL superstar Eric Lindros, to which Andrew had the pleasure of skating on the same ice of him as him in his early years. The athletics didn't stop there, though. He would also participate in football and lacrosse, being able to make most of his size at this early age. He was a lifelong wrestling fan and recalled spending many nights watching WWF pay-per-views. One event in particular, his friend looked at him and said, Bro, you could totally do this. And that kind of sparked the entire idea at the beginning. In fact, there was one night when Tess went to a house show at the Sky Dome. And one of his friends who was working security at the time informed him where the wrestlers were all going to be headed after the show. This series of events would take Tess's night in a crucial direction to Planet Hollywood Restaurant in Toronto. Up until this point in his life, Tess had used his size and frame to be a bouncer at bars, but decided his talents could be used elsewhere as he looked to get into the world of professional wrestling. The Planet Hollywood restaurant would also be the location where Andrew Martin would find himself meeting the legendary WWF superstar, Brett the Hitman Hart. The story goes as follows courtesy of Test himself. So I jetted over to Planet Hollywood and I walked in. The manager of the restaurant came running up to me and said, are you one of the wrestlers? I guess he thought that was because of my size. I said, yeah. He took me up to the VIP lounge and started giving me drinks and giving me VIP treatment. Then some WWF office people started coming up and they tipped him off that I wasn't one of the wrestlers. He said, if you want to stay up here, then why don't you work security for me and make sure no one else comes up here? I said, sure. So I stood there and a few more office people came up. Then Carl DeMarco, president of WWF Canada, walked in and right behind him was Bret Hart. He smiled and said hi. Eventually, Carl DeMarco came over and started talking to me. He asked what I did. I told him I was really interested in getting into the wrestling business. He said, let me bring over someone who can tell you. He brought over Bret. There I am talking to a guy I watched on TV all my life. We were talking about various schools. And at the time, the WWF had the Ultimate Warrior University promo promo going on. He told me by no means to go there because Warrior couldn't even wrestle, let alone teach me how to wrestle. Originally, he was going to give me my number to Killer Kowalski School. He said that to call Carl's office and he will leave the number for me. I told him I appreciate it. I called Carl's office in a couple days, and he said he wanted me to come in for an interview. Five minutes into the conversation, Brett called. He put Brett on speakerphone. Brett said there was something about me that caught his eye, the way I was interested in the business. He said I had a ring set up in his house, and he was training three other guys, and he wanted to train me too. He said he didn't want anything from me. I would have to pay my own way to get there, but he didn't owe me. Uh, I didn't owe him any money. He said he couldn't promise me anything, but after three or four months, he'd be able to say if he thought there was potential. I was flabbergasted. I told him I would come down. Two weeks later, I quit my job and drove 48 hours to Brett's house. I ended up training there eight months with Brett and Leo Burke. Edge and Christian were training there for a bit. Mark Henry was there, and so was Ken Shamrock as well. After three months, Brett took me aside and said I was going to make it. I reminded him of it. I reminded him of himself when he was breaking into the wrestling and how I picked up on it so fast. Brett himself wrote a blog after Tess passed away, describing the moments of his first moments of training him. 
Brett not only described him as a physical specimen, but he also wrote the following. I was working a full WWE schedule back then and was preparing to begin teaching or fine-tuning some of the many young wrestlers that were starting to pop up everywhere. I instantly liked Andrew, and I can smile now at the memory of coming home from the road physically exhausted, only to remember that I'd promised Andrew a real match in my dungeon. I found myself reluctantly wrapping my knees and lacing up my boots so I could wrestle Andrew on my precious day off. That day, Andrew went from dreaming of being a wrestler to actually working with WWE World Champion in his home. I wrestled Andrew for over half an hour, and I knew back then, with his size and ability, he was going to go far in this business. Naturally, this dream came true with many doubters, including his own parents. His dad thought he was absolutely crazy and even suggested that he should join the Navy and be productive in that way instead. But not let, letting his dream be denied and ignoring the no-sayers, Tess lasted eight grueling months in the famous Heart Dungeon before making his official wrestling debut on the Independence. During this time, Tess's training would be picked up by Dory Funk, who is a legend in his own right, at Funk's Funkin' Dojo in Florida. Initially, he wrestled under the name Martin Kane, but was also prone to lacing up his boots as TJ Thunder. During his run as these two aliases, he became a world heavyweight champion at Wild West Wrestling. That's all he had time to win in the independence, however, as about a year after his wrestling debut, he made it into the big leagues, WWF. Listen, Michael, all I ever asked for me and Stephanie to be left alone, but Shane and those three little butt sniffers didn't want to listen. So I took matters into my hands. His WWF career started in humble fashion on an episode of Sunday Night Heat in the October month of 1998. Like his pre-wrestling days, he would take on a bodyguard role. But for this time, it would be for the band Motley Crue, who were performing later on the show. He made his presence known as he threw an unruly fan offstage when they threatened to get in the band's space. And it was on that intimidating presence, and from there, that quickly shot him onto Raw. He made his arrival on December 14th of 1998 by aligning himself with The Rock as he attacked Dwayne's then-rival, Triple H. Because of this, a week later, Test would make his in-ring debut as he teamed with The Great One to take on Triple H and his fellow clickmate, X-Pac, who would lose, but only via disqualification. It was from here that Test officially scored his first big gig as the heater for the corporation. It was here that he would officially receive the name Test, since usually he was the one who checked the corporation's speakers by saying, Test, Test, Test. The first portion of his career was brief, one, but included some of the following highlights. He participated in a corporation versus DX Rumble, which was won by China. The winner of this would become the 30th entrance of the Royal Rumble, so China was the first woman to enter in at number 30 in the Royal Rumble. He participated in his first Royal Rumble match, but was eliminated by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He defeated X-Pac in singles competition. He had an unsuccessful attempt at the tag titles while teaming with D'Lo Brown. The champions at the time were Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart. He was helped by Shane McMahon to defend... He helped Shane McMahon defend his European Championship at WrestleMania 15. He was disbanded from the corporation. He joined the union, which was which was him, Ken Shamrock, Mankind, and Big Show, who all 
took on and defeated the corporation in a 4v4 tag match before quietly disbanding. So up to this point, he had been a bodyguard. It would essentially be the same thing as uh, describing what Wardlow's career accomplishments have been since he's just the bodyguard of MJF. Obviously, you can't talk about Wardlow's accomplishments without pretty much talking about what MJF has accomplished. And so that's why I kind of just did all the minor accomplishments here. But um, either way, he just kind of got thrown around a bit, and it wasn't until... Uh, his next big storyline with the boss's daughter, Stephanie McMahon, that tests Big Break would come. This would lead to many famous moments. For starters, the love her or lose her match, which test is, which is where match, <laughs> which is where Tess legitimately took place in a match against Shane McMahon. Uh, and if he won, he got the blessing to date his sister. Um, this match took place at Tess's first big SummerSlam moment which he won, allowing his on-screen relationship to continue with Stephanie McMahon. So much so that it led them to getting engaged. But that's where the other memorable event, probably the more memorable event, occurs. Stephanie ends up getting to hit over the head with a trash can by British Bulldog, and this causes her to develop a case of an amnesia. In spite of this, Test and her are still working and planning the wedding. But on the night of the wedding, Test pins Triple H for a quick roll-up. So you don't see Triple H for the rest of the night. But that doesn't mean Triple H doesn't have the last laugh. As Test is waiting for Stephanie McMahon to walk down the aisle, Triple H pops up on a video. And a video surfaces later in the evening of Triple H and a drugged up Stephanie McMahon in Las Vegas getting married in a drive through wedding ceremony. And in spite of this unspeakable situation, Stephanie McMahon would team up against Test to start the Helmsley-McMahon era. And Test was a part of that. Yeah, for those who don't know the the moment or can't relate to what I'm talking about, it's the, uh, it's not a, it's not about how, uh, when it happened, but how many times did we consummate, I don't know the exact quote, but it's something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that happened with Test today. A lot of people don't remember that at the time Test and Stephanie were in the middle of a relationship. They just remember that Triple H essentially got the last laugh. In this time frame, the Helmsley and uh, the Helmsley uh, McMahon era would make things very hard for Test. The highlights include getting beat by DX in random tag matches, DX literally breaking Test's nose, putting Test in a handicap match against Big Boss Man and Albert, tagging with Triple H against the New Age Outlaws, only to have Triple H turn on him because, of course, it's Degeneration X, and beat the Living Daylights out of him. A handicap match versing the New Age Outlaws as a Christmas present on a December episode of uh, Raw. Winning the Hardcore Championship from Big Boss Man only to lose it shortly after to Crash Holly. And competing in another Royal Rumble match and getting eliminated by the Big Show. In the midst of all this, Good Guy Test couldn't take it anymore. He turned heel and began teaming with Albert, which led to their tag team known as T&A. By joining us... Really? I can join you guys? Oh man, so I can give up women, I can give up my beliefs, and I can dress just like you guys. Man, that would be sweet. What, are you out of your mind? On an episode of Sunday Night Heat, Trish Stratus made her debut with the gimmick of scouting wrestlers to form a team. Shortly after this, Test and Albert, who both wrestled on that show, became her wards. 
which was geniusly named after the fact that their names are Test and Albert, in case you didn't know. T and A. <laughs> they were managed by women star Trish Stratus, who at the time was not the Hall of Famer she was now. They had their first big moment fairly quickly at WrestleMania 2000 when they beat Al Snow and Steve Blackman in a tag match on the grandest stage of them all. That's not all, though, as they continued their momentum by defeating one of the hottest tag teams at the time, the legendary Dudley Boys. Even though these two big men proved their dominance, their momentum seemed to fall apart, though, after they were eliminated from a Four Corners tag team match for the WWF tag titles against then-champions Edge and Christian. This would spiral their momentum out of control as the majority of their success was found via attacking other tag teams from behind. Though ultimately their run was put to an end when TNA and Trish Stratus would lose to Steve Blackman, Crash, and Molly Holly in a six-person tag match. Although they, it, they didn't break up right away, it was revealed later that through the orders of Helmsley-McMahon connection, Albert was ordered and obliged to attack Test. He roughed him up so badly, in fact, that there was a storyline of internal injuries, and it was proven by the fact that blood came pouring out of Testa's, Testa's, <laughs> from Test's mouth um, when they found him backstage. Um, and this kayfabe put him out for a little bit so he could have some time off. But after taking just a bit of time to recuperate, Test came back ready for another singles run, this time hitting it in full stride. In spite of only surviving a little over two minutes in the 2001 Royal Rumble, he did just enough to eliminate European champion William Regal. This gained him a shot at the European Championship that Monday against William Regal, which Test capitalized on in a big fashion. This would spring him forward in a feud with wrestling legend Eddie Guerrero, who was being supported by the Radicals. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn at the time were the people who made up the Radicals. With the help of the APA, um, Alkaloids Protection Agency, Farouk and Bradshaw, supporting Test, the two sides were evened, and a series of matches between the two factions would take over Test's career for a brief stint. During this time, Test would get a shot at Triple H again, which uh, ended badly as Hunter would powerbomb him through the announce table, allowing him to pick up a victory by DQ, but at what cost? Test would rebound, though, by getting a brief run with the Hardcore Championship, eventually capturing it from Rhino, only to lose it back to Rhino a couple weeks later. To me, even though there wasn't the biggest storylines in the world, this portion of Test's career was a big one, because it showed he was believable as a champion as he captured multiple titles, the Hardcore and the European, and feuded with a big name, a legendary name in the business known as Eddie Guerrero, and kept up with him. And the two of them had absolutely astounding chemistry out of their WrestleMania, I believe it was 17. I don't have it in my notes here. I probably should. Um, but, yeah, propelling them forward, they had a pretty big uh, rivalry, and sh it showed the versatility of Test. Up to that point, he had been a really big man, and yes, he was fast, he was agile, but he showed it in an entirely new way as he was able to keep up with the speed, agility, and everything of Eddie Guerrero. It showed that he was something truly special, and so when the invasion angle came along, there was no wonder why he would play such a big part in some of the storylines. And so if we go just a little bit down the line, with the invasion angle in full form, tensions from both sides were at an all-time high. This was demonstrated by the fact that the APA were very suspicious of their friend, Test, and believed him to be the mole who was working for Shane McMahon. 
I should explain, at the time, Shane McMahon was leading a team of wrestlers going against the WWE. Uh, the WCW had just been bought out, and now there was a big group of them forming in the WWF at the time, uh, trying to take over, and it was led by Shane McMahon. Well, in the midst of the WWF team, there was a mole feeding information, feeding, uh, like, you know, top secret information, and... Due to some suspicious behavior and his friendship with Shane McMahon in the past, uh, they blamed it on Test. Um, and because of this, they attacked him, which led to an unfortunate revela revelation that Test was not only, uh, that was not the mole they spoke of, but this led to Test reacting out of spite with revenge on his mind. He would go on to join Shane's team in reaction to these unfair accusations, and it led to a bunch of a different events. Tess helped Alliance members DDP and Chris Canyon defeat the APA for the WWF Tag Team Championships. So a little bit of instant karma right there. Tess teamed with the Dudley Boys to take on the APA with Spike Dudley. Tess got the pin on Bradshaw, who was one of the guys who attacked him, securing the win for his team. He was approached by Stephanie McMahon and was asked the favor of defeating Chris Jericho after her original guy, the Rhino, couldn't do it. Tess and her buried their on-screen hatchet, and this led to Tess successfully defeating Chris Jericho. Tess would also defeat Kane at No Mercy right after defeating Chris Jericho, building on his momentum. He began teaming with Booker T, and their first notable win was against the Brothers of Destruction to win the WCW Tag Team Championships. And although they would capture them and the WWF Tag Titles simultaneously, uh, on separate occasions they would lose both of them to the Hardy Boys. So although a pretty short stint, Test and Booker T had taken over the tag division for a small while. Um, but after two separate belts of tag team gold falling to their grasps and then falling away to the Hardy Boys, Test would return to singles action with his sights set on Intercontinental Champion Edge. The two had an intense rivalry with lots of back and forth action, but it would show Test winning the championship from Edge. Uh, but at the during a portion of the climax of the Invasion storyline, he would lose the title back to Edge during a unification match that would see both the Intercontinental Championship and the WCW US Championship on the line. In spite of the setback, Test would realize the situation of a seem, uh, seeming like a weak link after losing to Edge during a feat. Uh, pivotal moment in the invasion. Fearing for his job, he attacked Scotty Tuhati and took his place in a battle royal. The reason why this battle royal was to set up was the winner would have immunity from being fired for over a year. And so, Test would go on to use the stipulation as he won um, and keeping his job safe for the next year or so. Test would go on to use the stipulation as future justification for attacking various superstars from behind for a few weeks. Uh, it didn't really go anywhere, uh, but it was an interesting uh, stake as he had yet another big accomplishment. The Diplomatic Immunity Tournament is what I keep calling it. Uh, but the storyline was quietly dropped not too far into it. After this, Test partook in a few small squabbles over the small course of the next duration of his career, including a failed attempt at the WWF Tag Titles with longtime partner Booker T., a loss in a six-man tag match on Sunday Night Heat right before WrestleMania 18, and being eliminated from the Royal Rumble once again by Stone Cold Steve Austin in an unimpressive effort. But this would also propel him into the next segment of his career, 
which would show him being the heater for a group that was truly un-American. And you know... Yeah, drown him out! You know the heart of America is as cold as Ted Williams' frozen corpse! That hurts. And just like you, you're all cold and ignorant! It wasn't until the 2002 draft lottery where Test was drafted to SmackDown that his career would hit that resurgence he needed. During this run, Test could often be seen tag teaming with Christian, which just makes sense if you think about it. Like, it honestly does. Like, Christian and Test, they just kind of look good together, especially uh, during this time when Christian had his long hair. Um, they would almost immediately beat Mark Henry and Farouk in a tag team match. He would go on an impressive singles run after this, uh, defeating the likes of names such as Mark Henry, Randy Orton, Triple H, The Hurricane, with the latter being a King of the Ring qualifier. Although looking impressive in the King of the Ring tournament, defeating a very game hardcore Holly, he would lose to the eventual winner of the entire thing, Brock Lesnar. In spite of this, on that same year, on the July, the July, the July Fourth episode of SmackDown, Tess joined Christian, Lance Storm, and William Regal to form the Un-Americans, which was a group of wrestlers who believed that the WWF was holding them down due to their country's lineage. This started when Christian and Lance Storm both lost matches due to the referee's inability to not see details about pinfall attempts on the two of them, whether it be a foot on the rope that wasn't counted or the referee not seeing they had a shoulder up when they did. It was a faction of, well, primarily Canadian wrestlers. The one exception was William Regal, who joined a little bit later on, but due to his friendship with Lance Storm and his British heritage, kind of made sense with the group. The group would capture gold on three separate occasions over the span of their run, with Tess mainly acting as the big heater of the group who evened the odds or turned it in their favor, rather. A role that was perfect for him in my humble opinion. The emblem of the group was an upside-down American flag. And Chris Jericho did help the group on a few occasions, but in spite of being from Winnipeg, he would never officially join the group. They had a lot of accomplishments, too. Uh, some along the lines of... Beginning feuds with Rikishi and the WWE Tag Team Champions Hulk Hogan and Edge. Uh, Lance Storm and Christian would actually capture the titles from the latter with the help of Christian, or with the help of Test, my bad. When the Un-Americans jumped from SmackDown to Raw, they still held the WWE Tag Team Championships, and this forced WWE to officially make a second pair of titles for the blue brand. So you can thank the Un-Americans for that first uh, two separate pairs of tag titles. They immediately attacked The Undertaker after their move to Raw. Though they did defend the title on a few occasions, their main objective was causing as much trouble with the American flag as possible. On multiple occasions, the Un-Americans tried to burn the American flag, but was always thwarted. Uh, the protection of the flag could be chalked up to various names such as Goldust, Booker T, Kane, Bradshaw. The big turning point for the successful stable would be at Unforgiven that year, when a, the four members took on Booker T, Kane, Goldust, and Bubba Ray Dudley in an eight-man tag match, and they would be on the losing end of this. This would lead to them not only losing the tag titles, but also a series of matches that followed, and the group would end up blaming each other through it. 
The only two that wouldn't blame each other were Regal and Storm, and they kind of split off from the group, which the other two, Test and Christian, disbanded officially. Tess would sh- wouldn't struggle for too long, though, as he was immediately thrown into probably the most popular gimmick of his entire career. First of all, I was supposed to marry nice and easy Steph the Sleazy. Yeah, right. Then I got hooked up with Goldilocks and her big-headed bear. Well... Now that I've dropped the dead weight and become European champion, now more than ever, and for the future, let's see who can pass the test. Arguably the most popular gimmick of his entire career is when Tess took Stacy Keebler on as his image consultant. It initially started off as a heel gimmick, but with how much the fans enjoyed it, it shortly became a face role. The gimmick started off as Stacy slowly changing some small things about Test. She noted how everyone seems to have something they call their fans. She noted Hulk Hogan calls his fan base Hulkamaniacs. The Rock refers to his people as the people. Kane has the Canaanites, and so far and so forth. Stacy advised Tess that he should start referring to his fans as something and suggested calling them the testicles. <laughs> I imagine this is kind of what brought about the rise of the fan base. No pun intended. She also advised him to replace his long hair with and signature leather pants with a short new cut and some more professional-looking short wrestling trunks as he began uh, becoming and gaining the attire of a more acceptable superstar. With this new outlook, he participated in the 2003 Royal Rumble and eliminated Chris Jericho, who lasted nearly 40 minutes at that point. Things were looking good in the matchup until he was eliminated by Batista. This would usher in a new era beginning with Stacy, advising him to team with the returning Scott Steiner as it would be good for his career. Though nearing gold, multiple times Test and Steiner would ultimately lose to Law Resistance when they attained their title match. Later in the same evening, Test would complete Pete in a battle royal for the vacant Intercontinental Championship, a losing effort which Christian ultimately would win. That was the story of this gimmick. Is with Stacy, he would get big opportunities and get so close, but ultimately would lose out in the end. Because of this, he began getting a behavioral change. He began to mistreat her and slowly became more and more what would be referred to as misogynistic behavior. He would berate her, he would insult her, and just treat her poorly, the way no man should ever treat their partner. And this would cause Test's partner, Scott Steiner, to step in and help out the mistreated lady. This led to a match that saw Scott Steiner winning the managerial services of Stacey Keebler, thus freeing her from her villainous pimp of a client. The freedom wouldn't last too long, however, as not only would Test attack her on multiple occasions, but a little bit down the road, her services would be put up in another match, with Test winning using some heelish tactics. I think it was actually pretty brilliant. This is a side note. I actually feel like it was a very brilliant match because uh, there's a lot of matches out there where wrestlers fake injuries. But Test had, and especially for a big man, he acted as though he tweaked his knee in the middle of the match. And because of this, the ref stopped everything. He threw up the X. They were going to help him out of the ring. And as they were helping him out of the ring, they passed Scott Steiner. And he broke away, big booted him, and won the match, thus 
taking back the services of uh, Stacy Keebler. It was a pretty, it was a pretty um, impressive manner because it had you believing it, even when you know the result. You're like, "Ooh, that is convincing." And uh, I don't know, just very few people made it as believable as he did in that particular night. Um, he said very clearly backstage, he goes, oh, no, it's going to be completely different this time, Stacy, because this time I'm going to make you a complete whore. But not being able to stand down, Scott Steiner demanded that they have their rubber match over her services one last time. Seeing as though Tess had her services from the beginning, he demanded that Steiner put something on the line as well. This led to a stipulation where if Steiner wins, he frees Stacy and wins her services. But if Tess wins, Steiner becomes his quote-unquote manservant. Steiner attacked Stacy after the match, which he lost because Stacy accidentally hit him with a chair. I would recommend you go watch that match. And um, he attacked Stacy after the match, pushed her down, berated her, and almost kind of, you know, agreed with Test that Test was right all along in treating her this way because she truly was just this miserable lady. And so he knew what he was talking about all this time, and the two became tag partners once again with Test relieving Steiner of his manservant obligations. Due to the bond they had over this hate, they reformed a tag team, this time of course as heels. With their new direction now leading the way, they proved to be a vicious pair who got two opportunities almost immediately against the tag team champions, the Dudley Boys. Although they failed both times, they were both impressive efforts, and they continued to be pushed to the top of the tag division. However, in the midst of this run, there was a... Night where Test and Steiner just completely berated uh, Stacy Keebler in the ring, even demanding that they kiss his butt in front of everyone in the crowd. Not being able to stand this, co-general manager Mick Foley fired them on the spot. Eventually, a little bit down the road though, they would be rehired by eventual full-time general manager Eric Bischoff, and they would immediately be inserted into a tag team turmoil match in one more attempt for the tag titles. Of course, they would ultimately lose one more time. This is where they, they would kind of end their tag teaming streak. It sort of died down between the men and they quietly went their separate ways. Although they wouldn't sever ties altogether, it would send Tess in a brief singles run with Steven Richards. Tess accidentally hit Victoria in the jaw with a big boot, and the storyline was that her jaw was broken. Stevie Richards would be running force as her on-screen boyfriend in an Avenger role in an attempt to stop Tess's mistreatment of women for good. The rivalry spanned not too long over a series of matches that Stevie won every single one of, being the lovable, avenging babyface. Feeling the heat of a ticked-off boyfriend, Test was unable to start a fire of momentum for himself. He hoped to do this shortly after in, in the form of a triple threat Royal Rumble qualification match against Scott Steiner and Goldberg. And if you knew anything about this time frame, you knew Goldberg was going to win this. This would officially bring about the end of Scott Steiner and Test as they cut ties for one final time. Test would actually get into the Royal Rumble, however, but never actually got to compete in the match. When it was time for him to come out as number 21, he was found knocked out backstage by Sheriff Stone Cold Steve Austin. We soon discovered that it was his replacement in the Royal Rumble, Mick Foley, who was the man that attacked him. Test would get his revenge 
as he and Randy Orton attacked Mick Foley backstage as a part of what I believe was Orton's legend killer feud with Mick Foley. But not for a, before a while, due to some injury issues that began to creep up, Test primarily stuck to Sunday Night Heat schedule around this time and battled various names such as Rico, Stevie Richards. He even had a match against RVD and Booker T in a tag team match. But ultimately, during this small run on Heat, he fully re-aggravated his neck injury. And after a spinal fusion surgery, it would be a factor that ultimately led to WWE releasing him around this time. Test surgery was in July of 2004. He would rehab and let his injury heal all the way up until May of 2005, to which he took to an independent scene run. He wrestled at Wrestle Reunion 2, which is a wrestling convention where unconventional matches are put on for the fans. In this match, he bumped elbows with the likes of The Masked Superstar, Steve Carino, and Original Evil Clown as they tagged in a losing effort against D'Lo Brown, The Blue Meanie, Tom Pritchard, and Dusty Rhodes. With that being his first real big test back in the wrestling landscape, he would soon participate in the tour of the World Series Wrestling in Australia with his most notable win coming against Samoa Joe. Just imagine that match. You can. You can watch it. His most consistent and prominent role around this time was a new wrestling evolution, kind of spelled like new metal in new wrestling, um, where he played a character named Bigfoot, which of course was because of his devastating finisher, the Big Boot. Not to mention his tour of Italy, where he feuded with former WWE superstar Mark Jindrak. It was these endeavors and traveling experiences that brought him full circle to the WWE during the revitalization of the ECW brand. His debut match would be against Al Snow, whom he beat in routine fashion. This would lead to him joining the ECW New Breed, which at the time was Mike Knox, Matt Stryker, and The Big Show. It was after all of their fresh young talent had left. They would align against the ECW originals Rob Van Dam, Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, and The Sandman. The feud was very back and forth with Test losing a few times, but ultimately being one of the New Breed members who consistently picked up wins. Due to this rising momentum, he earned a spot in the infamous Extreme Elimination Chamber at the even more infamous December to Dismember pay-per-view. He had a strong showing in this match as he pinned both Hardcore Holly and RVD, but ultimately was beaten down by the ECW champion Bobby Lashley. This would jumpstart Bobby's big rivalry with Test as the two battled multiple times, resulting in three total ECW championship matches, all in a failed effort for Test. Test proved to be formidable, but the trigger just wasn't ready to be pulled at any point during this run. It isn't confirmed, but speculation suggests that this was all due to Test failing a wellness policy. And even though this isn't proof of why he never won the ECW championship, it was a factor in his 30-day suspension that would also lead to his final WWE release. Though it was reported by Test via his MySpace page that it was mutual, and he had a requested it to work on himself. Later that year, Test would show up under his real name, Andrew Martin, in TNA Impact. He revealed himself as he evened the odds with Sting and Abyss against Christian Coalition, which is Christian, Tyson Tomko, and AJ Styles at the time, thus leading to a victory in the latter match in which they were participating. One thing led to another, and Tess joined the cause officially as he took part in a Doomsday Chamber of Blood match, which Tess, of course, was teaming with Sting and Abyss against the Coalition. 
This would be Test's final and only TNA match, as it was a very short stint, but it would be seen in victory as Abyss slammed AJ on a pile of broken glass, allowing for the pinfall. During his TNA run, Test had the revelation that it was his time to retire. This sparked the idea to embark on one final world tour, which took him to Britain, Ireland, and France. He eventually went to Japan too, but the first three were the ones that he uh, took place on this tour. His stint in France would see him in a rivalry against Rene Dupree where he pretty much lost every match so that he could escalate the hometown hero's popularity. Test would get his though when it came to Japan as he would win his last two matches, one against Mitsuya Nagai and one against Lance Hoyt which we know as current day Lance Archer in AEW. It was after this second match that Test would officially retire from wrestling. Until in 2009, Martin was found in his Tampa Bay, Florida apartment. Four days prior to his 34th birthday on March 13th in 2009. Police were contacted after a neighbor reportedly realized Martin had been motionless on his couch for some time. Seeing him through a window outside Martin's apartment prompting the neighbor to call 911. Authorities retrieved Martin's body after scaling his balcony and confirming that he was indeed dead. Toxicology reports revealed that Martin's death was caused by an accidental or overdose of prescription pain medication oxycodone. Oxycodone, sorry. It has been caused by. Um, it has been reported that August 2008, Martin had entered a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center after reaching out to WWE. For uh, help regarding his substance abuse trouble. Sorry, I ended it really prematurely. It was later determined by a forensic pathologist, and I'm not going to try and pronounce this dude's name, that Martin had severe chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, a brain condition caused by repeating concussions and subconcussions, cussive head injuries that can cause severe headaches, mood swings, depression, and or behavior. Uh, Martin's body was cream and the remains were flown to his family in his hometown of Whitby. And that kind of brought about the end of Test's career. And I'm kind of glad that towards the end there, he got to retire on his own terms and kind of got to pick the last couple people that he would face. Um, and I, I remember his passing. It was just so premature and it was just such a such a tragedy because everybody said nothing but nice things about him. And I'll... I'll tackle his personality and everything in the fun facts but uh, many people opened up about it and he was just a sweet guy who cared about the business wanted to take care of everybody and their feuds and everything which very well could have been why he never officially got that big push or maybe he was lacking something that the front office thought he was lacking um, but regardless of what it was he was an underappreciated talent that was taken far ahead of his time and I don't know it's just it's a shame um, but I'm not going to dwell on this sad topic for too long. We are going to continue by talking about how great Test was and some fun facts. Test was actually featured in multiple horror films, Medium Raw, Night of the Wolf, and Grindhouse, the latter in which he played a Nazi boxer. <laughs> he also played the voice, and I was actually impressed by this, he played the voice of pro wrestler Steel Toe, in a pro wrestling inspired episode of Kim Possible. The episode was entitled Pain King vs. Cleopatra. He was also on an episode of Fear Factor, which also featured the Hardy Boys, Lita, Molly Holly, and Jacqueline as well. Matt Hardy would actually be the one to win the show. 
Tess actually did date Stacy Keebler from 2001 to 2005. A little bit down the line, he would also date Kelly Kelly from ECW from 2007 until the time around his passing in 2009. Test was considered a calm and lovable person backstage. Other than his girlfriends throughout his career, some of his notable best friends were Val Venus, Matt Bloom, which you may better know as Albert and A-Train, and the late Kurt Henning. Dave Hebner, on his good-naturedness, once said, I remember he took a hard shot one night, right in the mouth with that belt. I know he came back in the dressing room. Boy, was he fit to be tied. I know that lip was out there like a thumb. They had to go and sew it up and everything. Now that's when somebody gets really mad. When something goes wrong, that's not not supposed to go. But he took it like a man right after he was mad. But then he would come back and get his senses and ask, well, where was the mistake? And no big deal. His awards and titles are, across, are as followed across all of his promotions. One-time heavyweight champion. Four-time mid-card champion, which includes European championships and intercontinental championships. He was a two-time tag team champion, and he had one award where he was number 37 on the PWI 500 list. Now, some moves that personally stood out to me in his arsenal, which he has a huge arsenal of moves. This dude was a move machine. But of course, the first one that stands out is his finishing maneuver, the big boot. I have never seen a big boot where the dude legitimately looks like he's taking somebody's head off. But test... It looks painful, it sounds painful, it literally took everyone's head off when he used it. A big boot is bound to hurt, but I feel like this was on an entirely new level of its own. The only word I would use to describe his big boot, a decapitative one. He also had a very a very awesome full Nelson slam. He like picks it up as though it's going to be a struggle and then just kind of ragdolls them back down to the ground. It looks extremely effective as he kind of utilizes his size against primarily smaller opponents. His leg drop was good because the dude got some air. For a big fella, This he would just jump straight up in the air and come down with such a high impact on his leg drop. It would uh, rival Hulk Hogan's, which arguably isn't that great of a leg drop. I'll say it. Uh, four is the Russian leg sweep and DDT combo, which he would hit Russian leg sweeps, which already had a high, high impact. He would like thrust them backwards, like boom. And he would pick them back up, do it again, and then swing around and deliver a DDT for the third one. It was kind of like Eddie Guerrero's Three Amigos, but with two Russian leg sweeps and a DDT. And then he had a diving reverse elbow. He would get on the top rope and jump backwards with his elbow kind of pointed towards them, if that makes sense. If you could picture him jumping backwards but pointing his elbow out and smashing it in his opponent's face, that's what he would do. It was just... A big part of his versatile thing. The dude was fast. The dude could high fly. The dude could just utilize his power. And then, of course, he has the spinning side slam, which kind of reminds me of Abyss's black hole slam or the deep six of Baron Corbin. He would spin them around, fully rotating them multiple times before devastatingly slamming them down on their side. Um, Very straightforward, very powerful. Um, He also has the TKO and pump handle slam as his signature moves and finisher moves at times, but I don't really need to talk about those. In utilizing these movesets, he was able to put forward five in particular matches that stood out to me. 
And the first one is Test versus Edge for the Intercontinental Championship. Then you can, much much like Paul Orndorff with Roddy Piper, you can honestly pick out any of their matches because these dudes had some of the best chemistry at the time. And I think that's why they were picked to unify the um, the workhorse titles, the United States Championship and the Intercontinental Championship at that Survivor Series in the Invasion Angle. Um, it was a technical versus big man mentality type match with both men getting flurries in on both sides. Edge has this beautiful way of putting together aggressive combinations that are believable on a big man, move after move being delivered, while the big man test just won't go away. If I have to choose one, I'll choose Raw, where Test actually wins the championship. It's hard to choose just who is going to win, and Test manages to win the chess match to not only become the Intercontinental Champion, but he was also holding a tag title at the time of this feud. So it was it was a pretty impressive chess match type uh, match, and there are only certain kinds of matches you can really uh, describe, and that's it. Number four, Andrew Martin versus Samoa Joe at an International Assault in 2005. Both men pushed forward because of their mix of speed, power, technique. These two powerhouses come from two different backgrounds of wrestling. It's a very crowd-engaging match that constantly shifts the speed, and I've never personally seen this match prior to doing this research. So I was personally on the edge of my seat on whether it was going to be Tess that went over or Samoa Joe that went over because I knew, based off research, that they had two matches. Tess took one, Samoa Joe took the other. Um... There was a high intensity to it every way, and with, I don't know, just with Samoa Joe and Test, it was a dream match come true, and it just, it lived up to my expectations, so it has to go on this list. It really does. Number three should be no surprise to anyone, it's Test versus Eddie Guerrero at WrestleMania 17 for the European Championship. Eddie Guerrero is just too good in the ring, and he always elevates people to their best. Regardless of whether that's in-ring technical skills or helping bring the most out of that character. By keeping a fast pace and doing some expert level selling as well as dishing out plenty of offense of his own, Eddie does a great job of helping showcase Test for the big man that he is. And that's important in that age. You need believable big man and Eddie did a perfect job of making Test a believable big man. Eddie does a great job of helping Test showcase... Um, all sorts of his big moves, as well as dishing out plenty of high-flying offense. The thing about it is, is Test has this way of holding his high-flying offense in place. Like, say he's going for a Hurricanrana and Test holds him in place, spins him around, delivers a powerbomb. It was just that, but at the same time, Eddie Guerrero constantly using dirty tactics to pull the big man down to his level. That plus Perry, Ratter, Perry Saturn being at ringside ends up being an equalizer, making this a very believable affair. Interferences by Perry were also perfectly peppered in at certain times so that nothing was taken away from Test's moveset and against significantly smaller opponents. Like, there were moves that should have easily put somebody away, but Perry Saturn was thrown in there at the right time to break everything up. And I don't know, just everything about that match was very, very spot on, very perfect, very detailed, and it showcased both men for what they were supposed to be. And so that's choice number three. Number two is Test versus Brock Lesnar at King of the Ring. At the time, this may have been the biggest test. 
for Brock Lesnar. To quote JR, this was a bona fide battle of the heavyweights, with both men hitting signature moves. The storyline was a young, powerful juggernaut trying to take out a man of equal size who has more experience. It had fast pace, slow pace, and was capped off with a fantastic signature. Last second, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, no, seriously, this was... We, I, I give Brock Lesnar kudos all the time for being able to do that guy who kicks out at the absolute last second. And that was demonstrated early on in his career. And this match was one of the perfect examples of that. Um, to me, both men were in their top form. And the result, uh, and the way the crowd reacts at the times was just absolutely perfect. The cheap ending makes it feel like it could have gone either way. Plus, both men walked away having game something. Yeah, because Heyman interfered at the very end of the match and tests uh, got capitalized on by Brock Lesnar. So both men walked away doing something. Both men got to dish out plenty of big moves. It was just back and forth the entire way, and it was a great match. Um, And it showcased Test for how powerful he was going toe-to-toe with Brock Lesnar, almost beating Brock Lesnar, honestly. And then number one should be a surprise to no one, at least in my opinion, Test versus Scott Steiner at Unforgiven 2003. This is the match where uh, Scott Steiner loses. He's going to become his manservant. I'll just read what I have here. Both sides were using dirty tactics as they were desperate to win the match. Test was using heel-like tactics and Steiner having Stacy on his side doing everything in her power to get out of her contract with Test made it seem like both sides were desperate for the win. The story is an awesome one with Stacy seemingly being the one... Uh, to help Steiner in every fashion, but ultimately being the thing that leads to Steiner's downfall as he takes a share shot as Test moves out of the way from Stacy swinging it. Um, it's a back-and-forth match with a few false finishes, and at the time the crowd was heavily into it because they didn't know who was going to win. Um, it was just fantastic in every single way, honestly. It was Uh, The epitome of how great Test is. He was a cowardly heel at times. He was a powerful man at times. And he was just dastardly in every way. Whenever he wins and how vicious he is to Stacy is just fantastic. He's he he knew his role and he played it perfectly. And that's what I keep saying. And those are the five matches I would recommend. And so that is it, ladies and gents. I hope that this episode wasn't just a test, but that it hit on every orifice just like Tess did for the majority of his career. Hopefully it did for you exactly what it needed to do, just like his career. (laughs) Just keep saying it over and over. But seriously, even though a lot of people might not consider him a legend, I consider him a true uh, focal point, pillar, dynasty of the time. I don't know the exact word for it, but he was definitely... Who I picture when I think of the beginning of the Ruthless Aggression era and the end of the Attitude era. He just defined what a big man could be. Fast, versatile, powerful, a little bit of everything. And to me, he could have been so much more than a heater, but I don't think he minded doing it. And he was good at it. He was good at whatever role you needed him to be in, and I feel like we can truly appreciate him. So, hopefully you guys enjoyed learning about one of my personal favorites, Andrew Test Martin. Hopefully we continue next week, and I can't wait to hear what your guys' thoughts are on the episode. I would encourage you to leave a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, You just type in Learning Legends Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and if they have a review thing, you can do it. 
but you can also email me at the email in the comment section or not the comment section the detail center below um and yeah just let's get in the conversation about this tell me your favorite test moment tell me your favorite moves tell me anything about him let's get the conversation started and also comment on what things i can improve on this podcast and uh which legends you would like to see in the future because i want to do as many legends as the people who listen to this podcast want me to do so thank you guys so much for listening thank you for tuning into this test of an episode and i hope you all have a wonderful day night or whatever time of day it is but i hope you all have a good one later guys Boys, I'm here to serve notice. There's a new enforcer in TNA. The Punisher, Andrew Mark.